Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world. We're going to get right into it here. Uh, we are starting in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to be starting into the preaching of John the Baptist. As you will recall, John the Baptist was the herald that announced the coming of Christ. Matthew wrote this book to the Jews, and his purpose uh, of writing this book, the way he was framing this book, was showing that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the King. Okay, so the whole point of Matthew is portraying Jesus as King, explaining to the Jews by referring, frequently referring back to prophecy as uh, showing them how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies of the coming Messiah, of the coming King. So the whole point of Matthew is showing the Jews that Jesus is the King that they have been waiting for. And it was very common in that time and times previous, and even today, actually, when a person of note uh, was headed into a particular area that someone would go before him to prepare his way, not only to announce that he was coming, but also to make sure that the ground that he was coming to visit was prepared for him and was ready to receive him. And that is the purpose of John the Baptist. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to talk about the, in Matthew 3, we're going to talk about the preaching of John the Baptist. Now, uh, Matthew 3, verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent. I'm sorry. Yes, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's verses 1 through 2. All right, let's take them a bit at a time. In those days, John the Baptist. Now, he uses the term John the Baptist in such a manner. He doesn't use a surname. He doesn't use John of wherever. He doesn't use John, son of. He uses the term John the Baptist, which indicates that John the Baptist was commonly known by the readers of the time. Likewise, if you look at contemporary uh, historians of the time, Josephus referred to him the same way in his writings and also uh, explained that he was going around baptizing people. Now, the act of baptism itself in Hebrew culture was used as a ritual cleansing process for various ways in which an individual might become unclean. 
So its general purpose was a symbol of um, purification uh, and, and, uh, and also consecration, say, for the consecration of the Levitical priests. You can see this in Exodus 29.4, where it says, And Aaron and his sons, Aaron and his sons were the original uh, Levitical priests, or the original priests, Aaron and his sons, you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall wash them with water. And also we see this in Leviticus 8, 6, where it says, And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. It was also used for the purification of the leper. And, I mean, that's leprous people in general, not the leper, but lepers. And other unclean persons. You see this in uh, Leviticus 14, 8 where it says, And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent for seven days. And also Leviticus fifteen thirty-one through 32, Thus shall you separate the children of Israel from their uncleanliness that they die not, in their uncleanliness, when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. Uh, and it uh, later, among the prophets, regained prominence um, in Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture. We've got Isaiah 1.16, where it says, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, Ezekiel 36.25. Then will I sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And Zechariah 13.1. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness. So baptism at that point in time was oh it was also used at that particular time especially for proselytes. So Gentiles who decided to convert to Judaism. This was not unusual. It was actually very common and it's something that we'll get into a little bit later. It's also something that features very heavily uh, in the book of Acts for uh, there were different types of proselytes in, uh, among the Gentiles. There were some that decided to go all out and become full-on Jews, following all the Jewish practices and so on and so forth. And part of becoming a Jew from a Gentile is going through ritualistic washing uh, that symbolized the washing away of all of your old self into a new life. And this is important. A lot of folks these days will not understand. But if you go all the way back to Exodus, and then again, go back to Exodus, go back to Leviticus, when God gave the law to the Hebrews, the reason that he did this was such that their behavior was an enormous contrast 
to those other cultures around them. All of you got to remember, all of the other cultures were polytheistic. All of the other cultures were um, uh, had the followed uh, idols. They had these um, horrific practices of human sacrifice, um, of, uh, of sexual magic, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and the purpose of the law was to completely separate, set apart, make holy. That's what make holy means, is to set apart his people, God's people. And so when you were coming from being a Gentile, you needed to be ceremonially washed. When you were... Uh, became ceremonially unclean in some way, shape, or form. You needed to be washed. This, uh, this washing was symbolic of becoming clean. Now, we have John the Baptist here, who is announcing the coming of the Christ. He's announcing the coming of the King. And he is offering baptism. He's preach, preaching repentance and offering baptism. Repentance means changing your mind. It does not mean living sinless. Okay? There are a, just a ton of, uh, and this is unfortunate, there's a, a ton of even evangelical Christians and pastors out there that say that you must live a sinless life once you become a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could live a sinless life in and of yourself, you wouldn't need Christ. Okay, Christ would not have been necessary. His sacrifice on the cross would not have been necessary. And there is, despite some other preachings, no such thing as Jesus and salvation. In other words, you need to accept Jesus and you need to do this, or and you need to do that. No, there's no such thing as Jesus and there is only one kind of salvation. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. He says this multiple times in the Gospels. There is zero support for the concept of any kind of Jesus and salvation anywhere in the Bible. It simply doesn't exist. And those people who, what they do to support it is they will take uh, certain passages and pull them, rip them, bleeding out of context from the scriptures and kind of slap shod them together and, and say, see, this is what it means. Uh, and, and it just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Repentance means to change your mind, to change your direction. All right. To go from living for the world, from living for yourself to living for Christ. That is what repentance means. God, Jesus, working in you, 
through the Holy Spirit, he will handle your sin and your sins. Those are two different things. Your sin, big S, is your sin nature. Your sins are the little things you do and say and think or don't do, don't say, and don't think that technically violate the law. Okay? Jesus will handle that. He will clean you up. He goes through your he goes through you. He goes through your heart one room at a time and sweeps things up and cleans up your life and slowly removes those things that you were using as a crutch saying you don't need this anymore. You've got me now. You don't need to drink anymore. You've got me now. You don't need the drugs anymore. You've got me now. You don't need this sexual immorality in your life. You've got me now. All of these things that you were using to make you feel better, to to comfort you from just the hideousness and the evil that is the world, all of those things that you were using to comfort you, you don't need any more because you've got me now. And that is what repentance is, turning your heart towards God. It is simply changing your direction. Okay? And, and doing it, it really... Not just saying you're doing it, not just pretending you're doing it, not just going through the motions, but actually doing it. It, it reminds me of a video that I saw uh, of a, uh, a baptism that was going on, and this uh, one, it was a Hispanic female, it was apparently a, a Hispanic church, it was a Hispanic female, and she got baptized, and when she was brought up from the water, she did a hair toss and ran her hands from her chest all the way down to her hips and kind of made a, 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 a kind of a, a, a dancey kind of sexual movement. That was somebody who was just going and getting baptized because she thought that, you know, it was the cool thing to do. That was not somebody who had actually repented, apparently, you know, so I'm just saying now I can't judge anybody's heart, but I'm just saying at any rate, repentance means actually turning your heart towards God. That's all it means. And he was pre- uh, preaching repentance and baptizing people. And it was open to everybody. And this was the thing that was kind of different, and it kind of confused the Jewish leaders at the time. Um, But it was a symbol. The fact that that, that somebody was out there baptizing people, baptizing everybody and anybody, was a symbol of the coming of the Christ. This is implied because the priests and Levites in John 1.25 actually asked the question about what was going on. And they asked him and said to him, Why baptize you then 
If you be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet. That's Elijah, by the way. This implies that they were uh, that what he was doing was a symbol that the Messiah was coming. Now note here the parallel at the time when a Gentile was coming into Judaism and becoming a full-on Jew, there was a ceremonial baptism, a ceremonial washing that they had to go through. And here is John out in the wilderness baptizing Jews, baptizing everybody who's coming, who is welcome, baptizing all of the Jews that are coming, not because they are ceremonially unclean, like they would have to do with the priests, but baptizing them into repentance, into a new life. So it was a parallel to what the Jews were doing with their proselytes. So the Jews were bringing in Gentiles and giving them baptism into the Jewish life, and John was baptizing Jews into a new life. Well, what is the new life that John was baptizing them into? And that's where we get to verse 2, or the second part of verse 2. We've already covered the repent part. Verse 2 says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, the, the term kingdom of heaven is a very, very big deal in the Bible, and I don't think that it is preached enough, and when it is preached, it is not necessarily preached correctly. Uh, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's not. Okay, we've covered repent and what repent meant. Repent just meant understand that the direction that you are headed is wrong. Understand that you need to change the direction that you are headed in your life, that the direction your heart is pointed is incorrect. You have to understand that first, and then you have to change the direction of your heart. So those, that's a two-part system. Understand that what you're doing is wrong. The direction you're headed is wrong. The direction your heart is pointed is wrong. And once you understand that, willingly turn your heart in the direction of Christ. That's what repent means. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The terms kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Christ, kingdom of God are used very frequently throughout the Old and New Testament. In the New Testament, it's referenced 70 times, and in Matthew, it's referenced 30 times. Now, Matthew, because he is writing this gospel specifically to the Jews to show them that their king has come, he does not use the term kingdom of God because, again, going back to uh, the Old Testament. The Jews did not use the name of God. They did not use, they were reticent to use the name of God. So they used other terms like Lord to refer to God. And in this particular case, 
Matthew, instead of using kingdom of God to, in order to be sensitive to the Jews' proclivity against using God's name, he uses the term heaven instead. It means the same thing. The terms are synonymous. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven that he is talking about? We're going to go way back, folks. We're going to go way back to the book of Samuel. In the book of Samuel, Samuel being the last judge over Israel, the Israelites had been screwing up. Ultimately, from the beginning, from Exodus, God was supposed to be the king over the Jews, over the Hebrews, over the Israelites. God was supposed to be the king. They were not supposed to have an earthly king. They were supposed to have priests. And priests were there to as, as intercessors between God and the people. But there was not supposed to be a king. God was their king. That's the way it was supposed to be. But as we see through the history even all throughout Exodus and afterwards, even after they were given the law, the Israelites continued to sin against God. And uh, they had to be turned back multiple times from their sin by the consequences of their sin. And then after they were suffering the consequences of their sin, and they called back upon God to save them, God sent them a judge. And a judge would fix the situation and deliver them. And then they'd be okay for a while, and then they'd turn away from God again to other gods, and then they'd get in trouble again. And this happened all throughout the book of Judges. And then finally in Samuel, the people of Israel ask for a physical king, a personal king. And Samuel tells God they're asking for a king. And God tells Samuel, tell them that that's not a good idea. And so Samuel goes back and he tells them it's not a good idea. And they say, we still want a king. We want a king. We want a king like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else, which is the thing that was getting them into trouble in the first place. We want to be like everybody else. They are rejecting God's kingship here. And then, of course, God tells Samuel to anoint Saul, and that whole bag of worms gets opened up. Can of worms, bag of worms, whatever. They didn't have cans back then, so it was a bag of worms. But I digress. The Israelites, at that point, rejected God's kingship and instead wanted a human king to be over them, just like everybody else. They rejected the kingship, the kingdom of God. Christ, because they asked for a physical king, God was like, okay, I'm going to give you physical kings. Now, you are going to be under the rule 
of humans from now on, and you are going to have to suffer under them. As a matter of fact, even in Samuel, God said, tell them that they are going to be taxed because of this. And they were like, we don't care. We don't care. Well, guess what? One of the biggest gripes that the Jews of Jesus's time had was paying taxes, folks. That's one of the biggest gripes they had. And it's something that they brought upon themselves because they asked God for it. And God's like, okay, you asked for it, you got it. Toyota, for those of you who are old enough to remember those commercials. And so that's what he gave them. But he also told them through the prophets that in the future they were going to get a physical king again who was a perfect king. He was going to be a combination of God and man. And that is the Christ. And his rule is the kingdom of God on earth. And that king will be presented to the Jews first because they're the ones who asked for it. They were the ones who are God's people. God's people get first shot at the kingdom of heaven. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is talking about here. It is talking about Christ's reign on earth. Now, as we see, and, and what the Jews, what the Jews were expecting at the time was, because again, you look back at Daniel's prophecies, Daniel's prophecies were extraordinarily accurate, sometimes down to the day, extraordinarily accurate. And so they knew that at about this time was when the Messiah was supposed to show up. That's why the wise men knew to be looking for the signs that the Christ was going to come. That's why the Jews were constantly looking for these messiahs. And what they expected from this messiah was that he was going to be a, he was going to come from a good family. He was going to be a, a powerful um, uh, political person. And he was also going to be a powerful warrior and that he was going to deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting a military leader. They were expecting somebody to come along, basically overthrow the entire Roman Empire, because along with the, the uh, prophecies that, that he was going to rule on the throne of David— the prophecies said that he was going to rule over the entire world. Well, obviously, that means he's going to overthrow the entire Roman Empire. And again, the prophecies also said stuff about the fact that he was going to be rejected, that he was going to be killed, that he was going to be murdered and broken and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, they, they didn't, they, we don't know what that means. That's just kind of, that's, you know, that could be uh, metaphorical or, you know, it could be talking about because that's maybe what the um, uh, Gentiles do or something, but we don't know what that means. But we know that when he comes, 
he is going to deliver us from oppression. And the, the current oppression that we're facing is the Romans. So that's obviously what it means. He's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's going to sit on the throne of David, and he's going to rule over the whole world. Ta-da! There you go. That's what the Jews were looking for. So when this carpenter from the backwoods of nowhere shows up, a guy who didn't go to college, didn't go to Yale, didn't go to Harvard, didn't go to Brown, didn't go to uh, Penn, Rice, SMU, was not an Ivy League kind of guy, and he starts going around preaching stuff, <laughs> obviously this could not be the guy. And so when they see there's this guy preaching out in the wilderness of Judea, and that's another thing, the place that John was preaching, the wilderness of Judea, was very symbolic to the Jews. It was not something that they missed. The wilderness was synonymous with suffering, with with purification because the wilderness was where the Hebrews tarried for 40 years before they were able, before they were worthy of entering the promised land. Same thing here. So the symbolism was not missed on them that John the Baptist was out in the wilderness of Judea baptizing people as if they were proselytes. And he was baptizing them into this new kingdom. Now, this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, what this is referring to very clearly, despite what other people say, I mean, and, and there are other theories, but this is the, this is the most likely and, and, and the one that makes the most sense when you look at the scriptures. It's talking about the reign of God on earth. That's what it's talking about. It is not necessarily talking about his, it's not talking about his spiritual kingdom because God has always been in charge of his spiritual kingdom. So why would you be, why would John be walking around saying it's at hand? What do you mean it's at hand? God's spiritual kingdom has always been there. So it's not talking about God's spiritual kingdom. It's talking about Jesus' reign on earth. This is talking about the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be the king that the Jews always wanted and just didn't know it. So he was going to be king over the earth. He is going to sit on David's throne. He is going to rule over the entire earth. And folks, let me tell you, had the Jews accepted Christ on his triumphal entry, his reign would have started then. Now, he still, in order to fulfill the prophecies, would have had to have been crucified. So that would have come about in one way, shape, or form. But he, on the, on the third day when he rose, he would have taken his throne. But also, in the prophecies, was the fact that he was going to be rejected by the Jews. 
which is what happened. This is not to say that we as Christians need to look down on those rotten Jews for, for crucifying our Savior, rotten Jews. That's not what this is saying. Because another point of John's baptism and another point of Christ's preaching that we're going to see later is the fact that not a single one of us is any better than the other. Each one of us have sinned, and God doesn't see degrees of sin like we do. He sees black and white. You're either perfect or you're not. Those are the two ways. There are two ways to get into heaven, folks. One of them is to be absolutely perfect and completely sinless. In word, deed, and most importantly, thought. Basically, to not have a sin nature. That's the first way. Nobody here qualifies. Nobody within the sound of my voice qualifies for that. The second way is to accept Christ. He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, a truth, a life. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man or woman comes to the Father except through me. He's it, he's all, nothing else. And he is the king. So we can't look down on the Jews for, oh, they're responsible for rejecting, we're superior, and the church is going to take over all of the, and it's going to replace the Jews. The church replaces the Jews, and, and all of the prophecies about Israel from henceforth are going to be fulfilled through the church. No. No. Look back at a previous, um, uh, in my podcast, where I was talking about the counterfeit Christ that they're trying to create, the counterfeit Jesus that the pride community is trying to create. One of the things I pointed out is that God does not change. He even said this. Am I man that I would lie? Am I the son of man that I would change my mind? I don't change my mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? He doesn't change his mind. And when he said, have I said, and will I not do? So all of the prophecies that he said will be fulfilled about and through Israel are going to be fulfilled about and through Israel. The church age is merely a result of the Jews' rejection of Christ. Like I said, had the Jews not rejected Christ, Christ would have had to have been crucified anyway in order to pay the price for our sins, but he would have begun his reign upon his resurrection. But the Jews did reject him, which means he opens up salvation to everybody, as we will see in an upcoming parable that he talks about with the wedding. He opened it up to everybody now. 
which he also predicted was going to happen in the prophecies. That's, that's talked about in the prophecies too. That, that even the Gentiles, God is the Savior, Jesus is the Savior of everybody, all mankind, everybody. Doesn't matter what, what culture you're from, doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter who you vote for, none of that. God is the Savior of everybody if they choose to accept him. And when they choose to accept him, when they repent, when they turn their hearts to him, they become part of his kingdom. Now, because the Jews rejected him, he went away. And he left in his place Christians to be his emissaries his ambassadors, his representatives, his priests on earth. Don't know if you know this, folks, but if you're a Christian, you're a priest. You have a responsibility to know stuff. You have a responsibility to do stuff. Now, whether or not you know, know stuff and do stuff is up to you. And what you know and what you do on earth for Christ will be judged. You're not going to be judged on whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. If you've accepted Christ, you're going to heaven. But you will be judged on what you did for Christ while you were here. That's also a different story. That's something that we're going to cover later. But this kingdom of Christ was delayed. Christ reigning on earth. It is going to happen Matter of fact, let's take a quick look at what it's going to look like. Go to Revelation 19. The beginning of the reign of Christ on earth, the kingdom of heaven that the Bible talks about, that John was talking about, that was referred to in the Old Testament, as referred to in Matthew 30 times, and in the New Testament 70 times, comes to its culmination in Revelation 19. And I get choked up every time I look at this because this is what we're looking forward to, folks, as Christians. You see, all this pain and all this horrible evil that's going on in the world, this is what we're looking forward to. And if we keep this in focus on a daily basis, ain't nothing going to bring us down. Satan is constantly trying to make us miserable so that we are ineffective as Christians. If we keep this in focus, if we keep the kingdom of God in focus in our life every second of every day, nothing Satan does can bring us down because we know that this is what is going to happen. After these things... I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. 
And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you, his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the Almighty, reigns. That's the beginning of the millennial kingdom on earth. And I could go on, and folks, I think, I haven't decided yet, but I think maybe after Matthew, I'm just going to jump to Revelation, because I've been asked by multiple people to redo my series on Revelation, so I may end up doing that. But we got to finish Matthew first. This is what he's talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means it's next. That's the next big thing to look forward to. There's other stuff that kind of has to happen to set the stage for this. And those things are actually happening right now as we speak. But when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the millennial reign of heaven, of Jesus, over earth, a perfect society, a perfect government, a government by God. And this is the part where a lot of people out there who are not Christians and a lot of people who have decided that they want to live their own life and do their own thing, that's this is where they chafe, right here. Especially at verse 2 of Revelation 19, because his judgments are true and righteous. He has judged the great harlot. The great harlot is uh, the whore of Babylon, what's referred to as the whore of Babylon. In Revelation, it's referred to that. In Ephesians, it's referred to this present darkness. And we currently refer to it as wokeness. It is the world system. It is Satan's reign, Satan's kingdom on earth. Satan's kingdom is over. Right there at least for a thousand years. And then right after that is the marriage of the Lamb to the church, the great wedding supper, and, and just, you know, and then the, the, the reign, millennial reign of Christ. Christ's judgments are righteous. All of you out there who are saying, oh, Jesus, with all love and all accepting and all tolerance, you will not find anywhere in the Bible ever the terms acceptance and tolerance referring to God or Christ. Nowhere. Doesn't exist. Not going to happen. I had somebody once tell me about how Christianity is supposed to be a religion of tolerance. And I, had, I looked up the term tolerance and how many times it showed up in the Bible. Depending on the translation, it was like six to nine times. And every single time, it was, you will not tolerate. Or you have tolerated something that you're not supposed to. 
Jesus is a God of judgment. He came to preach forgiveness, but he came to preach repentance. You have to have repentance. And then you get grace. If you do not feel you have to repent, that's fine. That's good. You have that right. But you do not have the freedom from the consequences of making that decision. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to end this discussion by begging you with tears in my eyes. I am begging you. Think about your life. If you are not a Christian, think about your life. Think about how you are trying to find fulfillment in physical things, to find fulfillment in shopping, in booze, in porn, in whatever your personal addiction happens to be. And, and think about whether or not this is actually bringing you fulfillment or fulfillment. If it's making you feel complete. If the answer is no, then I would strongly suggest that you repent. I'm not telling you to become perfect because I'm not perfect. I'm not here judging you. I am here telling you that I was in your shoes and I repented and I gave my life to Christ and he changed things and he has made and is continuing to make my life better because of it, because he is my creator. He knows what I want. He knows what I was created for. Likewise, he's your creator. He knows what you want. He loves you. He loves you as an individual person, just like a parent is supposed to do to a child. Even if you had crappy parents, even if you grew up in a crappy household, even if you were abused in one way, shape, or form, or another, God is not like that. God loves you. And all you got to do is turn your heart to him. Don't even worry about what you're doing. It's, it's not one of these things of, well, I'm a sinner, so I can't go to God. That's not, the, no. You're a sinner, so you must turn to God. God knows you're a sinner. He gets that. That's not the issue. He's already paid the price for that. That's covered. Every sin you have ever committed, every sin you're committing now, every sin you're going to commit in the future, already paid for. The last words of Christ on the cross, when it's translated, it is finished, in the Greek is actually an accounting term that means paid in full. 
So the fact that you're a sinner is not a reason to stay away from God. Quite the opposite. God knows you're a sinner. He's already paid your debt. All he wants is to have a personal relationship with you as his child. That's it. So change your mind. Turn your heart to God. Don't worry about your sin. He'll take care of that. That's his job now. He will work. Once the Holy Spirit is in you, he will work in and through you. He'll fix you. Don't worry about it. Sometimes it won't be fun, but he'll fix you. But the alternative, folks, the alternative is not is not good. Everybody's going to be judged. And what gives God the right to judge? Well, he created everything and he's perfect. So that gives him the right to judge. That right there. If you don't accept that, okay, that's fine. Don't accept it. You're going to be on the wrong side of it in the end. And the penalty is eternal separation from him. Forever and ever. It ain't going to be pleasant. Forever and ever. You're going to live forever. Each one of us, each one of us humans is going to live forever. The question is where? And I'm begging you folks. Our time on earth is very short. Eternity is very long. I'm begging you. Turn to Christ. He will save you. He absolutely will save you. You will not regret it. I I guarantee you will not regret it. If you have any questions for me regarding this or anything else biblical or anything else, period, you can reach me at docbryantshow at zohomail.com. Docbryantshow is one word, at zoho, Z-O-H-O, mail.com. I'll be happy to answer your questions. Please, please, another thing I'm begging you. If you're listening to this, share this out there. If this, if this touched you, if this helped you, share this out there. Share this out there to your friends, your family, people you think need to hear it. I appreciate it. You can get my videos. My videos are on uh, all kinds of stuff. Politics, pop culture mostly. Um, and uh, how, but all of, from the viewpoint, from the Christian viewpoint, from a biblical viewpoint. Uh, and you can get those videos on rumble.com, bitshoot.com, and odyssey.com. And odyssey is O-D-Y-S-E-E.com, by the way. Um, and you can get my podcast, The Doc Bryant Show, anywhere you can get podcasts except for Apple. I'm not on Apple because they ask me to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork and I'm just not going to do it. Not going to do it. Once again, thank you for listening, folks. And I will talk to you all later. <laughs>